the agologist, Aga Bahari. Did I say both of those things? Oh, correctly? yeah. Very nice. Cool, cool. Okay. I did my research. So you seem like an interesting man. I really don't know. I'm, I'm going to be 100% honest. I don't know how I came across your videos. I was actually thinking about that like probably about an hour before this. I was like, how do I know this guy? And I, I was trying to think about it. I'm like, I really don't know how I know how I Algorithms. came across your podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the almighty algorithm led me to you. And um, you has, you've you had some interesting people on there. Like, I, I'm not going to lie. I haven't watched every single podcast, but you've had Michio Kaku, yeah. um, John McAfee. Yeah. And who's the latest guy that you had on? I forget his name right now. Rizwan Verk. I think it was it was somebody else. I forget who it was, but I watched the whole podcast and I was like, wow, this is really good. And I like how... At the end of every podcast, you ask people two questions, right? Uh, one question about one question. alien. <laughs> I thought, well, the one that I listened to was at the end, it was what's uh, humanity's greatest achievement and what is their least greatest achievement or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the best and worst of humanity. If you're, best and worst of humanity, if you're yeah, having exactly. a interaction with an intelligent alien from a different civilization. <laughs> so how would you answer that question? Well, you know, I've evolved a lot. I was actually thinking about dropping that question because if there is a higher level consciousness in contact with us, the concept, the duality of good and bad has been already solved for that mm. species to be able to achieve that higher level. So I liked it specifically, I think, both two last episodes of the podcast, which is called Neo Human Podcast. Um, they both answered in the way that the same thing applied to the good and the bad. Mm. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly where I'm, you know, right now, perspective wise as well. But it's really interesting how people respond to it. You know, like John McAfee was like, I'm not going to tell him anything. I give him disinformation. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's really <laughs> interesting. And Peter Bogosian, who's a philosopher, he said, uh, well, how do I know the alien is conscious? Which is a really good question about, you know, any kind of an interaction. You know, like, how do I know that you're conscious? It could be a simulation. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. How do you know something is conscious? That's a very good question. I don't, I don't know. Well, we what are addressing it right now with artificial intelligence. So, it, yeah. and we have a test called the Turing test, which is, let's say, um, text chatting with a human and a machine, and when I wouldn't be able to tell the difference that which one is a machine, which one is a human, that is when machine has passed the Turing test. Oh, now, he came that... up with it in the, in the 50s, I believe, like late 40s, wow. 50s. Uh, but we're at the point that we have to come up with something to determine whether or not the machine is conscious because, you know, that's where we're headed. And it's not a trend. It's not a phase. It's not a... Uh, just a cool name to talk about artificial intelligence, AI, it's already everywhere and it's just going to expand. And it's forcing us to delve really deep and understand what is the purpose of humanity, who we are, what is the meaning of life and all those things that we have taken for granted for so many years because life has been so easy and so good. Yeah. Do you know the, uh, the app Philosopher AI? No, but is it like an AI that you can chat with? Yes, it's a it's a it's like an omnipotent AI where you can go on and ask any question you want and it gives you these very very elaborate 
answers that you would think i would think i think sometimes i'm like there has to be somebody behind the keyboard that gives this answer and it's run by this um i don't know how it works i'm not even going to try to explain like i know how it works it's run by this code called gp3 gpt3 or something right. like that yes open and it's yeah and it's and it's just this, it's this self-learning uh algorithm that is it, and it has it, it draws on billions or trillions of information of like uh Right. Of I don't know. I, I I'm not going to try to butcher it, but it's you would think it was a human being behind the keyboard. I I highly encourage you and anybody watching this to go to philosopherai.com and you can ask it anything. Like I've asked it like very very existential introspective questions and it gives me like these answers that you think some uh Buddhist monk would give you that has been meditating in a cave for like five years it's it's insane man well some of the input data is probably from buddhist monks Ex yeah exactly right? so is, crazy. that is actually not a generative machine i know that algorithm is driving everybody crazy it's so precise mm -hmm. but what has happened is the process behind it is called machine learning yeah that you feed data and it learns basically on its own and it's evolved so quickly because technology evolves exponentially we are evolving linearly that's why it feels like we're falling behind, but we've evolved together with technology. Oh, um, but the AI, you know, at some point, have you seen the movie Her? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So at one point, the AI start having uh, a conversation with another AI, which is a reincarnation of Alan Watts. Wait, that's in the movie? Yeah. Okay. I so, think I only saw about like, just a little bit of it. I didn't know it got to Alan Watts. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's really and very precise because there is enough data already, you know, in many different forms of Alan Watts for a machine yeah. to make sense out of Alan Watts way of thinking. Wow. Right. So we're at that point right now. But at some point, we will get to a point that a machine will have what well, we don't know what it will have would it have a sense of self would it have um existential questions about the nature of itself yeah. or would it be we just don't know right mm. but we are headed towards that direction because mm. there are already autonomous um jet planes that pentagon uses there are autonomous defense mechanism it always starts from military right yep and um yeah, it's it's forcing us to really address these very fundamental questions that we have never addressed in a fundamental and meaningful kind of a way. We have relied on other people describing this illusion of control and certainty, and we just went along with it because we cared about more important things like just surviving and finding food for most of our history. Yeah. And then we got very, very comfortable because of technology. But what we haven't realized is that we are feeding technology towards its own path of evolution. Yeah. Which is exponential. You know, Marshall McLuhan had a quote. This is in the 60s saying that the man becomes the sex organs of the machine world, that you just help them basically reproduce themselves. And this is exactly where we are. Yeah. So it's, interesting it's really, times. It's an insane concept that it's almost like machines are using us to create themselves out of yeah. our like limbic brain, out of our just just our need to survive and reproduce and just be a human being. Through that, we create these things and these elaborate machines that are that we have to debate if they're conscious or not. It's pretty insane.
What yeah, would you I, say? I oh, go ahead, go ahead. It's important to realize that the perspective that it's humanity and then there's technology as two separate entities, it's shared, but it's not a final kind of a status quo because I, for example, believe that we've evolved together and because of each other. Yeah. And I think nothing has portrayed this better than 2001, a space odyssey, the beginning of it, that that monkey finds a bone. What is the bone? The, the bone is a technology. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, it learns how to use it. It, you know, surprises him, make him feel empowered. And then he uses it to kill for his tribe and his family. But the second thing he does is protecting the water source against other monkeys, which is the same species, just a different tribe. Mm. Right. And then he throw up the bone and he turns into a space shuttle. That movie is so amazing, especially if you're watching it and like some, some kind of a psychedelics. <laughs> yeah. So very, very, very I've never seen it to be honest with you. Yeah, I've heard great things. I definitely have to watch that. I have to grab some psychedelic mushrooms and watch the Space Odyssey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but right, so yeah, I think we've uh, we've evolved together and in juxtaposition to each other, you know. And you know, other people watched the tribe with better technology and improved upon that technology to beat that tribe down but you know we've been really evolving together us and our technology yeah yeah i agree it's more of like it's it's less so of a a different organism as it's just like an extension of humanity when do you think it become what so we were talking before like what 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 is conscious to you? Like what do you, what point do you think something becomes conscious? Like other than like what would you say? Like not the Turing test where you can't like what's if you could put it simply, what makes something conscious? Is it aware that it's alive and or aware that it's experiencing something? Yeah, that's a good question, and it really goes back to whether or not we even know how to define consciousness, right? Because consciousness yeah. to me is one of those terms like like love and God and, you know, we use them, but we don't really know what they mean. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing because it means that the real meaning of it is beyond words and beyond our mode of communication. But it takes humility to get to that point and be comfortable with it that, Hey, I have no fucking clue. I'm sorry. If I, can I swear sometimes? Of course you can say whatever you want, man. (laughs) Um, you know, to say, I have no idea. I don't know what's going on. You know, I had this conversation with someone a couple of nights ago who's, who's a guru for too many people. And I was like, dude, it's this sense of certainty that is keeping everybody from getting to where they really can be. Because I think we are all expressions of the same thing, yep. everything and everyone, literally. And we're having different experiences. And collective of those experiences is what you may call God. Yep. And, you know, like it is by design unknowable and there is nothing wrong with it because you can have the best experience by being yourself. It's it's so basic. Exactly. That's you just summed up like Eastern philosophy right there, man. That's uh, it's it's a beautiful concept. It is to to, the only thing that we can truly know, like the ultimate truth is that we'll never know. Like you can't put it into words. You can't fathom it with your mind and like you said the consciousness god and love those are all synonymous it's the same to me those are all the same concepts like not love as in like you know we that's a, that's a, all those words are thrown around so much and they have different meanings but to me when it comes down to it like like you said we'll never really be able to describe it it's just something that you just kind of 
you feel and you just exist you just we are love we are consciousness itself we are we yeah I, exactly man <laughs> yeah we're like different waves that emerges from the same ocean yes exactly the different ripples in the same ocean just as impermanent just as unique you know yeah. and at some point the question is whether or not we'll be able to quantify that uncertainty um but i don't think and i had this conversation with james lindsay mathematician mm -hmm. and he said mathematicians have a saying that all numbers um yeah all numbers are smaller than most because uh, there's a certain num uh, amount of numbers that we can say and we can write down and at some point we run out of words for them but there are still just the same amount of numbers into infinity exists beyond them yeah. So he's an atheist, but we were talking about the concept of God, and he said sometimes one of his friends used the um, term "infinity point" to describe God. That's um, I think that's the podcast that I watched because I remember that the infinity point thing. Yeah, that's the one. I love that one, and he's mm -hmm. he's a very dear guy to me. Um, but the story that he shared on that podcast, I thought it was really interesting too, by Isaac Asimov talking about this computer that is being asked the question, what is, what is the purpose, what is the meaning of life? And the machine says, I, I need more data and more information. So it gets bigger and more powerful until it took over the entire universe. And the question comes, what is, what is the meaning of life? And the computer said, let there be light. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. I mean, yeah, we are, are we in the simulation? Is that, I don't know. I don't really ever for fully understand what people mean by that. Like we're in a simulation. Like, I don't think that's the correct term. I think it just is means uh, like in Hinduism, they, have, you know, and they, they describe, um, you know, this, this world that we live in and it's not, it's, it's just a, it's a falsity. And I think that's kind of, what the simulation means is that you know we 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 exist in this this material world in this ever-changing and permanent world but it's not real it's just it's maya it's the illusion it's an illusion the realness is just simply like you like you said just being you just simply finding out what you are your your unique ripple in the ocean that you are and just simply going with the flow and just going with the waves of that yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I have a lot of thoughts about simulation theory. And actually, the, uh, the last guest on my uh, podcast, Rizwan Werk, he's a MIT computer scientist, a venture capitalist. Like he's not a conspiracy theorist or a kook. He's mm -hmm. as legitimate as he can get. And he has a book called The Simulation Hypothesis. And he's talking about how science and technology is coming together to describe what religions have described as something beyond our experience and also quantum physics. And all of this can lead to the fact that we are living in a simulation. The simulation to me, there are two different ways to look at it. One is from the perspective of human experience and the other would be from the physics um, point of view. From the okay. human experience, obviously we're in a simulation. When we are born, we are immediately branded by different kind of labels. I call them involuntary baggage that is being placed upon your shoulder when you're one second old. You know, in my case, I was born in Iran. Immediately, I was labeled as an Iranian Shia Muslim straight male. 
You know, yeah. each one of those I wanted to change throughout my life. You know, you risk everything basically. And yes. the culture is created around this. And then you start to operate on the basis of an operating system that you had absolutely nothing to do with contributing to its source code whatsoever. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many metaphors that you can speak of in our reality and, and attach them to computers. Like you said, the source code. Yeah, so, you know, the nature of reality could be computation. Mm -hmm. That It's not out of question. You know, we, we don't know anything. I think that's a very good place to land on. That, yeah. hey, we just, we're a spec in this thing that has always been, always going to be, we don't know what it is, but we're going for a ride. Yeah. And, you know, I go back to the question you asked, how do we know something is conscious beyond computers? Like, how do we know that the rock, for example, not the rock, a rock, <laughs> uh, having, not, <laughs> yeah, not, not, rock, not Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> no, not the possible former, uh, not former, future president of the United States. Yeah, quite uh, possibly. Yeah, possibly. Uh, but a rock, how do we know that a rock is not having experience of absorbing heat and then, you know, keeping it within itself and then cool down again when it's night? How do we know that a rock is not having that experience, right? Yeah. Like in Shintoism, they believe that there are gods in everything. They're calling mm -hmm. them Kami. So the god of a mountain, god of a tree, god of water, the millions yeah. of them. There's people that believe this entire, we, this universe is conscious. Everything has consciousness. But my opinion, like my, I don't, I, I sometimes I see that and I see how like, you know, I go out to nature and I see how everything, nature is its own system. And I'm like, yes, obviously it is conscious. Like it has its its own workings. Like when you, when you actually like sit out in the woods and you kind of see how everything works out in the system that it is. But then I don't know if conscious is the right word because it's, it's not, I don't know. Sometimes I think conscious means computing, like thinking, like coming to rationalizations or coming to certain um conclusions about things and i don't think a tree can do that it just it just does it just acts and it, i don't know if a tree is aware it's a tree it doesn't have like a central nervous system and it doesn't have like a you know a spinal cord or anything that like we have that it's definitely alive but is it conscious i think there's a difference between in that and i don't i have yet to really see how a rock is conscious like, I don't know. Could you dive more? Do you believe rocks are consciousness? Like, do you hold this belief? Well, again, it goes back to how you define being conscious, right? Or what yeah. is consciousness? I think everything is consciousness. I think consciousness is a fabric of existence. And so rock is an expression of consciousness. A tree is an expression of consciousness. But a I see. very interesting lesson to learn from both rock and a tree among other things, is how their surroundings shape their evolution. You know, rock is a certain shape because it's been, you know, in a river for maybe like a million years, and then somebody threw it in the mountain, and then it stayed there for like five million years. Yeah. So what was the original shape of the rock, and does that even matter? And that's mm. why I think it's really um, interesting to talk about this bigger picture but at the same time it doesn't matter at all <laughs> because yeah, yeah. you're here right now 
Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. and whatever you're experiencing right now is uh, just that. There is no, you know, most people, without being derogatory, but most people live their life without really living it. Yeah. Right? You always are being pulled back, oh, all my regrets or all your hopes and dreams, however they may be, you know, and then you rationalize it by ethics and morality. Yeah, which is not complete whatsoever. That's another question with respect to artificial intelligence. What exactly are we going to be aligned with this new consciousness towards? We don't have any clear answer because we haven't figured that out ourselves at all. We don't have any point of alignment. No, that's so, that's so true. We're just it's just like a free for all. We're all just we're all just living. Most people are living in a lost way. Like there's. So you're saying what with our new, you know, form of consciousness being tied to technology and, you know, things like Neuralink and artificial intelligence being involved, um, what, where is our moral compass going to lie? Is that what you're saying? Well, we don't have a moral compass that all of the humanity is aligned towards. That's my point. Religions have tried really hard to do it. Yeah. And periodically they manage to do it by the use of violence. What's really interesting when you think about it, because violence in first sight, you're like, well, it's it's terrible. Yeah. But then you're like, well, it, keeping everybody aligned towards the same kind of an objective, and you need that to, you know, to to be most productive and least wasteful, basically. <laughs> so you're saying violence is uh it's not good obviously no one it's i don't i wouldn't say it's good but it's useful in terms of keeping people aligned well my point is that you can interpret it in both ways depending on the perspective that you're looking at Mm -hmm. the reality is we have internet and microwaves and satellites and most of the comfort of modern life because of all the wars that have been fought and the military industrial complex that has to come (laughs) up with these kind of technology to stay superior yeah that is very true like how much of our technology that we have right now comes from because the united states or some other power wanted to use that technology to destroy another civilization or not civilization just you know or just to protect itself you know yeah after world war ii u.s government basically hired some of the worst nazis to work u.s government right (laughs) now you can say well how horrible but at the same time if the u.s didn't do it soviet union would have done it yep so you know when you actually start thinking about this kind of thing then you gain a certain kind of respect for people at high level of military because the decision making is so practical that it hurts most people to even get there Mm. because you have to get you know all that matters is winning and you're at the you know you're at the core of everything because everything leads to violence you can argue indefinitely for as long as the other side can argue, if you're coming from different perspectives, you're going to argue indefinitely. And at some yeah. point, one side decides, oh, I'm just going to settle this with violence. And it, 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 with violence. And it works every single time. That's a lot about the nature of humanity. It is. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it's unfortunately built into us and how we, the point we're at right now is we've, you know, how many people have been killed in the history of humanity? Like, a lot, a lot of people have been murdered, and, and and it's in the name of warfare, 
in between nations and in a way it's almost like they had that had to happen so we have our technology and it's it's so weird to think about it like that it really is but hopefully we can evolve past that man like do you think like i don't think violence i think we have to move past like this inevitable violence um that yeah we have to you know we've uh, we are a very young species yeah you know yeah I often think of sometimes I go on Twitter and just read what people are talking about. And there's no way that somebody will tell you that kind of thing to your face, but everybody can do it on Twitter. Yeah. And I'm like, we're monkeys with machine guns. That's what we are. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and I don't really care if it's good or if it's bad because it's happening right now. You know, I know that there are monkeys with machine guns, so I'm just going to go arm myself too, but I don't necessarily need to use it. Yeah. Right. So that's the point that you can you can realize things for how they've really evolved, because if we created an illusion of any kind and justify it with our own sense of ethics and morality that is driven by our culture, that some random person on the other side of the world don't even recognize any of those values, for example. Mm -hmm. It's comfortable to have that illusion of certainty and control, but it's not realistic whatsoever. And so the decisions that you make will be comfortable decisions that you believe that you're doing the right thing, but they keep backfiring on you because it's not aligned with the reality of the situation. Can you give me an example of that? Yeah, for example, to realize that there is no peace without being prepared to go to war. Yeah. And then you can say, well, let's just disarm. If we disarm, you know, I'm a big advocate of the Second Amendment. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of the genius parts of the Constitution. And I always use the example of what happened in Iran leading to the revolution, that one of the final acts of the revolutionaries was to take over police stations and military bases and distribute the guns among protesters. Mm-hmm. And then when they won the revolution, one of the first acts of the victorious revolutionaries was to seize the weapons and start the executions. Oh, okay. Wow. To solidify their monopoly on violence. Yeah. You know, I've lived that. So I understand the worth and value of a gun as an extension of your body to yeah. defend it's yourself and your property. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So it's very important to know that because if you don't know it, there are other people in the world who are very comfortable with the idea of waging wars. It's a reality of who we are. Yeah. So be prepared, but don't go, don't basically fire the first shot, but be prepared to protect yourself, your loved ones, your, you know, property and all that is dear to you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I like what you said. We're just monkeys with guns. Like we are so primitive yeah our technology is way ahead of us you know our brain and terence mckenna had that theory of um stoned ape theory yeah that our brain evolved much faster than the rest of our body because we started you know munching on psychedelics whether or not it's true but that's exactly what it is that all of this is our technology evolved on the back of the power of human brain yeah and it's way ahead of you know the rest of our systems judiciary system religions governance everything yeah it's yeah and we still we're still um i don't know if you want to say a slave but we're still subject to our our old systems in our brain as well that yeah and most people want to be that's the thing most people want the comfort yeah what do you mean they want to be 
they want to be comfortable. They want to have the sense of certainty. Otherwise, why would you do anything? You know, mm -hmm. you go through a rough patches of your life believing that everything is going to be okay. Or you're doing it, for example, for your kids. You know, you're like, if I work three jobs and sleep only four hours, but, you know, my kid will end up fine. That'll be, you know, great. Now that kid might end up being a serial killer. We don't know. And it's out of anybody's control. You know, if that's the karmic path of that child, that's the karmic path of that child. Mm -hmm. But to create hope to move on or faith to move on, for majority of people, they they require a certain kind of um, ground to walk upon it. They cannot yeah. walk upon uncertainty. But that's the that's the entire point <laughs> that any kind of certainty is impermanent and it's an illusion. Now that illusion can last your entire life. Yeah, wow, that illusion can last your entire life. It's so true, man. Wow. Yeah, I don't even know where to go from there, man. That is, that's so true. Like, every, the certainty. It, I've, I had that thought the other day about like how, you know, everyone gets lost in thinking that, you know, that we're gonna have some politicians save the day, but at the end of the day, it's what you just mentioned. It's that you know you think Trump is gonna get into office, or you think Biden is going to be in office, and it's, it's at the end of the day, it's just it's you're curating that certainty like if i have if i have x amount of money or x amount of whatever that whoever is in position it doesn't matter because that's not real comfort that's not real certainty it really just comes from like the inside like it because we live in an ever-changing impermanent world where no, no matter what happens on the outside there's, it's always going to be crazy shit. but like on the inside is really where you find that certainty and it's it's knowing that it's knowing that the outside world is not certain. Like once you come to that conclusion and that fact, like once you fully internalize that, that there's no way, there's no which way, however the outside world is going to go, that is going to make you comfort comfortable and like make you feel okay. And there might be times where it makes you feel okay, but not fully. And once you come to that fact, I think that's when you start the path of feeling just genuinely happy to just be alive and being okay and feeling certain and that comfort within yourself. Yeah. Feeling free. I don't like the free. term yeah. happiness as a goal yeah. because, you know, all of these classes are, <laughs> you know, popping up to make you feel happy, but yeah. happiness is really, um, occasional byproduct of freedom. Um, because occasional byproduct. That's funny. Happiness <laughs> exists in contrast to sadness, right? So if you're not running away from the sadness, there is no need to chase happiness. Yeah, exactly. You know? And exactly. that's a really good place to be. What you said that is, you realize that it's impermanent, but you you know you can take part in it. But when you know that it doesn't mean anything, you enjoy the shit out of it. Because it's the experience right there and, you know, right there and then. Mm -hmm. um, I look at Trump a little differently. I look at Trump as a psychedelic because, you know, he's brought up a lot of things that people have buried within themselves mm. and oh. covered it with sense of ethics and morality. So good, man. a lot of people are having a very, very bad trip. <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's good i've never even that's that's so good because it's 
when you put it that way because it just brings out it just he's dissolving boundaries he's just bringing stuff out of people the good or the bad that's great man uh, that's great yeah he's perfect because he's uh, right now you know it the kind of thing it's so funny that when they try to shame him you know, like you said this the 15 years ago he doesn't even remember or cares or it doesn't even matter yeah exactly it's he's he's right here right now and i'm amazed by the amount of focus that this guy has because not yeah. derail him not nothing <laughs> yeah he's donald trump man yeah it's, uh it's it, it really i i love that man he's he is a psychedelic he is you know psychedelics don't have to be in the form of a you know a chemical substance it, it can be an experience you have or it can be a person like donald trump that Wow. Yeah, that's so true. I'll tell you how I came to that conclusion. I used to do daily uh, live streams and it was really interesting because in the beginning you start to plan, hey, what am I going to talk about? This is what I'm going to talk about. But then it piles up, especially in this world. So many different things happens that you get to a point that, hey, I'm just going to talk. If you like it, watch. If you don't like it, bye. Mm-hmm. You know, and you become very comfortable with that. And a lot of interesting thoughts start to emerge in a very improvisational kind of a thing. Like I haven't planned to what what I'm going to tell you. You know, I didn't ask for questions or anything like that. And that actually is a very big red flag for me when I select my my guests on my podcast that if you ask for questions, I don't want to have anything to do with you because it's just what comes as a result of this unknown exchange of perspectives that is very, very interesting. So I came across this news that um, comedian, what's that woman's name? Some comedian who is totally anti-Trump. And she was talking about how after the election, she got hooked on marijuana and Mm -hmm. she had to go and talk to a psychotherapist. Okay. And I'm trying to remember her name, but I can't. Anyways, and she said that as the result of talking with the therapist, what ignited it was Trump for her to go and see a therapist. But what she got into was realizing that a lot of things that Trump is bringing back up has roots in her childhood. Wow. That's pretty intense. Yeah. I was like, good for her. because She went back to become an anti-Trumper right away after that episode. <laughs> but, you know, like, good for her for having the courage to actually saying it. But, you know, people who treat Trump that way, I think it's exactly a path to realizing that it's all coming from within yourself. Mm. Because some of these people are like, do you even know yourself why you're so angry? I don't think you do. No. You just just want to be angry because you think you're doing something. Yep. And they see a headline (laughs) on Facebook or something, you know, they just see something that gets them going and then they go out in the streets. (laughs) The comedian name is Chelsea Handler, I just remember. Oh, yeah, I know her. I've never watched anything by her, but I know who she is. All of these people used to be good. Like, I I enjoyed her comedy, Bill Maher, Sarah yeah. Silverman. Um, I was very open-minded about all of these um, people. Bill Maher, I especially really liked. But all of them after Trump is like, you know, they broke. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? There are other things you can talk about as well, and you know, yeah. besides just hating on this guy 24-7. Yeah, it's because that gets the it gets the views, you know. It's but the people have stopped caring. That's that's the funny part of it. They laid down. People have stopped caring about it. You know, it doesn't. Oh, yeah. I heard it from so many people that they're still going to vote for Biden, but they're like, dude, we're so tired of hearing Trump is bad all day every day. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, don't watch MSNBC and CNN then. 
Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just turn off the TV, man. Just turn, <laughs> shut the turn off the phone. Just that's what the world needs more of, honestly. Just a little bit of outside time, time to go within and shut off the phone. Do you, do you have any kind of like uh, meditation? Like, do you do you meditate or you know what is? How do you explore yourself? Like, how, what what makes you happy? Um, I don't. Should I say free, no. not happy? free (laughs) well once you're free you're always free true you know it's um it's a realization Mm. right and it's it doesn't require anything or anybody yeah um meditation i used to do zen and sit Mm. with zazen for many hours sometimes um for days in retreats when i was in canada um, but this is like 10 years ago, 10, nine years ago. I'm not that, um, enthusiastic about routines. Yeah. And even though I'll, whenever I do meditate, it's awesome. Sometimes I sit in our pool on the ledge and just meditate in water. I find mm-hmm. it really interesting. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. You can meditate. You know, you don't have to sit down and close your eyes and have your hands in a certain way. You know, you can meditate washing dishes. Yeah, exactly. If you get if you if you know that like that certain I don't know if you want to say mindset, but like yeah, that just that way to just come into being. Yeah, you can you can do that. Like you know Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. Like he he doesn't meditate supposedly. He just he just says it's useless and he just lives he like his whole life is a meditation. He just lives in the ebb and flow of life. And I I'm like that actually is probably the truth cuz I don't it is. some people some people get lost in having to have that routine and that meditation thing. If I don't meditate today, then I'm going to feel like shit or whatever. And that's just, that is like counter counterproductive to what meditation really is. Like you just, that's, that's taking you further away from the truth. Yeah. I mean, the instruction that just try to relax. I mean, have you ever tried to be relaxed as like a oxymoronic? How can you <laughs> try to be relaxed? Yeah. You can't try to you relax. Know, or, or try not to think. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's another yeah. one. Yeah, that's like, don't think about the pink elephant. Obviously, you're going to think about the pink elephant. But uh, the thing is, um, even with like TM, I did TM when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And like I know, for example, David Lynch is really into it. And a lot of the ideas is coming from that that realm. Um, but even that to me is like, why do you have to rely on mantra? You know, you don't, you don't need that. You don't need that whatsoever. Um, because no. when there is a mantra, you have a middleman. And when there is a middleman, there is uh, there is an opportunity for corruption. And when there is opportunity for corruptions, humans are always going to be corrupted. <laughs> that's just yeah. part of who we are. This you is, know, yeah, there's yeah, nothing exactly. wrong with it. <laughs> you just realize <laughs> that that's who we are and then yeah. operate on that basis. But Eckhart Tolle is funny. You're saying we went to see him in Miami. Um, he was giving a talk and it was a massive arena. Um my girlfriend is really into him and she's a very quick reader. Um, so we went there and we sat down. He came, came and sat on one chair and just talked for like two hours and then left. Mm-hmm. And I told my girlfriend, I was like, I agreed with every single thing he said. Like it was just spot on. But it was funny because there were people in the crowd all around us who were taking notes of what he was saying. I was like, just lost the point right here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so true, man. It's funny, see it's funny to see it because, you know, it's this, again, goes back to sense of certainty at sense of trust. 
that people want to have on something. If there is nothing, they this feeling of free falling is not very um, pleasant for people because it's happening within the context of ego. Mm. Right? It's an illusion itself. Exactly. Exactly. You mean free falling toward uncertainty? Like right. You really are not free falling. You just start living. But it's so different. It's like um, the allegory of um, Cave by Plato. That there are people sitting in a cave and looking at the shadows that is, you know, by objects that with a fire behind it. But there is a way out of the cave and somebody climbed out of it. And in the beginning, his eyes start to burn because of the sunlight. You're never exposed to it. So in the beginning, it hurts you a little. But then you open your eyes and like, oh, holy shit, this is actually what is real. Yep. Then you go back and tell other people and they're like, you're out of your mind. Yeah, they're too busy, lost in the shadows. Like, it's, this is comfortable. Why do, what, what do we need more? Mm. how did how did you come to these okay so what we're talking about right now is a certain mindset that i i try to i I don't i identify with people i'm like oh okay they get it i'm like they they kind of have an inkling of what's going on which is which is that nobody knows really what's going on so yeah (laughs) where do you like is this a gradual process or do you think there was something that in your life that just kind of like it was like a was it a psychedelic experience like what happened to, so you can come to be and to become the person that you are right now um so i grew up in very unique kind of circumstances in iran um i was born in the middle of a war iran iraq war is the longest war of the 20th century so what years were, was that this is like um i was born in 83 okay so that was the third year of the war and it went on for four more years after that. Mm-hmm. And um, just a very different kind of life. My dad wasn't around. He was in the US. I loved America because, you know, I knew my dad was in America and all the good stuff around me was from America, like Disney cartoons and, <laughs> you know, music and all that. So, you know, I'm a musician by nature that has, was shaped through a very extraordinary kind of circumstances in life. And then I came across psychedelic very late, um, relatively speaking in life. I got high off of marijuana on my 26th birthday in Vancouver, BC. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd smoked three times before that, nothing happened, but that one, you know, hit, hit the spot. And this was July. And then November 1st that year, 2009, I took mushroom for the first time. Oh, wow. Okay. And, you know, you experience that like, what? You know, this, yeah. this, this is like what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I just continue that path, you know, and I continued it for 10 years as a practice with psychedelic as part of this journey that in the beginning I thought it, I knew where it was leading and what was happening, but then I didn't know. And then I got to a point of like, well, actually, I don't want to know. This, this is very interesting. So and you then want to know. No, because, you know, there is nothing to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what we said before. The only thing to know is that there is, you know, nothing. I think Socrates said that. He said, the more I know, the more I know that I don't know. Or, you know, I paraphrase that, but that's yeah. that concept. I mean, it's part of who we are, again, to have a clear vision of what is happening. And, you know, it's tempting and it's cool to talk about it, but it's the attachment to it. Mm-hmm. That is the problem that you're like, well, this is this is how it's going to be good and bad and right and wrong. And, you know, I'm good. I'm a good person. 
Yeah. Because that's what it is all about. You know, a lot of people who want to do quote unquote good, they don't really care about the outside world. They just want themselves to see themselves as a good person. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I did, yes, a lot of psychedelics, but at the same time, psychedelics is like you get out of them what you put into them. So, you know, I just had really interesting conversations with people and, you know, I've been very open-minded pretty much all my life. So I watch different movies, listen to different people. And I went to film school to study sound design. And one of the first principles of sound design is layered. Hey, this reality, (laughs) the sound that you hear around you is layered. So there is a bird, there is like a car in the distance, there's a wind, and there is like a worker. And you can recreate an environment. And this was really interesting to me while I was experiencing mushroom, how this layered nature of reality is resonating with me. Mm. And that was a that was a very clear point of beginning of something that I don't even know, but it led to creation of ecology which is a philosophical um, framework. It's not a religion or anything like that. And again, that came to me as a revelation because I'm, I'm still, you know, from time to time, think about parts of it that came to me that I, you know, it's on the website. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about it and I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. And I like realize something new about it, which is really, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, I've actually read that uh, your ecologist website and uh I, I love the symbol first of all with the caduceus or the helix and then was it like two arrows and then something else I, if you had that on a shirt i would wear it oh awesome so you, good to know i'll send you i'll send you an email yeah i'm thinking about it well that came to me that entire symbol um during my first real uh and dmt experience oh yeah did, yeah, that is. It was really know. insane. I went through that uh, circle on the top of it to break through to the wow. other side. So, well, you're saying that you experienced that symbol in yourself? It's very difficult to put it in words. That's an interesting way to uh, uh, to say it. But yes, I've experienced the symbol on the way to the other side of my basically second BMT experience because the first first time it didn't take much. It was cool, the imagery, but the second one I took a little too much. Yeah, and it it wasn't, um, you didn't get anything from it? The second time I was blown away. The first time it was, I remember seeing like, you know, when the sky is cloudy and then there is an opening in the cloud, you see a huge ray of light yeah. like sunlight. I saw like 60 of them on our ceiling in our bedroom uh, oh, during the first time. I was like, that's really awesome. <laughs> but then the second time, it was just like full on. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is the blast like yeah. <laughs> I've never experienced before. I've never um, done DMT. I just have a lot of experience with uh, high doses of mushrooms and, uh, you know, high doses of cannabis. That's, and, like, I, you know, I do yoga and like kundalini yoga, but I've never experienced, I've read and listened to so many people and and i love how most of their experiences of dmt experiences it's all very similar which is very peculiar to me like how it's just like you know there's certain like stages it seems like uh and a lot of you know most people say it's really you can't talk about it it's not really something that you can talk about yeah what do you what do you think you 
all right so because you always come back to the dm you know you always you go into the trip and you come back what do you think you did you get anything from dmt or is there anything that you you changed you as a person in this you know non-dmt world um yeah that is a good question well first of all there are two different kinds one has more vivid visuals the other is the other is just very strange. Uh, that's the Bufo one. Do you know the different both. kinds? Yes, I've done both of them. I know there's one with the toad. Yes. Like Tyson talks about. And then right. I know there's another one that is in, uh, I don't know. Yeah, you can describe it probably better than I can. So NNDMT is synthetic, basically. Okay. And that's the one that you need three hits to get mm-hmm. to the place. But by the second hit, you're, you can't even comprehend the thought of taking another one. <laughs> it's so fucking intense. Wow. Um, but you do the third one and it's all good. <laughs> yeah. But with Bufo, I'd done Bufo, I think, four or five times. But the time that it was just unbelievable, I actually did it with Mike Tyson's facilitator. Really? Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Who's on Mike Tyson's <laughs> first episode of his podcast, Hotboxing. How did you manage that? I just know some people here who have done it with him, and he was occasionally coming to the U.S. And yeah, mm-hmm. We just went to West Palm Beach. <laughs> and um, one hit, and it was 100 milligram. And one hit, you know, I, he said... Keep, inhale for eight seconds, keep it for eight seconds, and then exhale. But I always do 11 11. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I went to this space completely out of my body. Yeah. And it's, it, there is no point to even try to bring, you know, try to describe it in words. You know, words mm-hmm. do not belong there. Yeah. But to me, that was a really interesting experience of the point of nothingness. Wow. Hmm. As in, you feel emptiness? Like, so <laughs> from that experience, you realized the point of nothingness? Yes, because if you think about it, most of the atoms of our body, it's empty space. Yeah. Most of when you look at the sky, you see all the stars, but most of what you see is just black. Basically, mm-hmm. there's nothing. Yeah. So nothingness is where everything emerges from. Mm-hmm. But it's just that we don't have a very good definition of, definition for nothingness. So mm-hmm. after that, I, I actually started looking for different definitions, like how people have defined nothingness. And surprisingly... Maybe it's not surprising, but there aren't that many different definitions. But the quantum physics one is interesting that they're talking about. That is basically the fabric of universe, that mm-hmm. that contains dark matter and dark energy. Yeah, isn't that like 95% of the universe? Yeah, and, and so everything else, basically. Yeah. So, you know, you never know. And I also thought, I actually told a friend of mine, who had the same experience but did not go well for him. Um, he took a little too much, got a little greedy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I also told him, this is, I think, what happens when you die. Mm, yeah. I've heard that so many times from people. So yeah, with, not with NNDMT. 
I had that feeling, but with the Bufo, when I took the 100 milligram, and by the way, I'm not advocating anybody does anything, you know, know where you are mentally. Yeah. And, you know, my only recommendation with anything psychedelic related is that start small because you can always add. You know? Exactly. You can't take it away. <laughs> no, it's not a competition. You're not impressing anybody. And, you know, just have a brain. Yeah. <laughs> basically be smart about it exactly yeah but with bufo when i exhaled everything particleized basically and start falling apart and i see the tunnel of light and then you're in the space oh. yeah so um bufo is the one from uh the natural one like from a toad from the toad yeah okay five five five, five okay. MBO. yeah gotcha gotcha and that's the one that you said you felt like this is the afterlife this is, well, I don't know about afterlife, but this is what happens when you die. Hmm. And, and, and I've, I've heard from people say it's like a more beautiful world, right? Well, again, beauty, that's subjective, you know. Yeah, there's no words to put on it, right? It's just a different world. But I, I would use the term familiar, which is really hmm. strange because it's so alien, but it's familiar. Hmm. And we're using words that don't quite grasp that world, right? I mean, the words don't belong there, you know, using words for the as the method of communication is the best we got so far, but it's not a very efficient one, you know, that we are changing yeah. electrical signals into air pressured uh, <laughs> valve symbols. Yeah. yeah, using our tongue of some flap of our skin to just yeah, because that's what it is. You know, it's a symbol. It's yeah. like an emoji, but it's an audible emoji, sonic emojis. Yeah, it's all symbols, man. And all those symbols are taking us further away from the truth. Everything, everything. Um, who was um, who was Freud's counterpart? Like the, the guy he worked with. Uh, why can't I think of his name right now? But he has a book. It's called uh, Man and His Symbols. Why can't I think of the guy's name right now? You know, <laughs> um, whatever. But he has the Man and His Symbols. And it, it was, it's pretty much about how everything is. Man just, and the symbols? Man and his symbols. And his symbols. Yeah, I think that's how it goes. It's um, just Googling. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all about like how everything is just a symbol and it is taken. Carl to Jung. Yes. Yeah, Carl, yeah, I don't know why I couldn't think of his all name. Right. Yeah, that's Carl OK. Jung. Well, Carl Jung is <laughs> not one of those people who totally got it. Yeah, oh, oh, 100 percent. That dude, yeah. his books are really in, intense. Like you have to really pay attention to know like what this guy's getting at. Extraordinary for his time. But it's pretty much, you know, all of these religions, all of these these belief systems are just they're just symbols. They're just showing us something to to, to, to they're trying to at least show us the, the truth. But people get lost in those symbols and, you know, they fight, they wage war over the symbols or they, you know, they just do crazy things over the symbols when it's so it's it's so it goes against what that because I believe that every religion has truth in it like at its core where it came from they all came from i think personally they came from psychedelic experiences or psychedelic mindsets and they all have that 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 truth but you can't express the truth like you know that that truth you can't express that in any which way like in any image with any word with any book it, it'll just point you in the direction but it's not it's not what it actually is like what it actually is is is, is a feeling it's a certain experience i guess or circumstance of consciousness i guess if you want to call it and the more we get lost in the symbols the further away it takes us from what we are what the hell is actually going on 
Yeah, I mean, the nature of it is decentralized. To make it into a centralized way of understanding, Kapil Gupta mm-hmm. call it prescriptions. Mm-hmm. Um, has no point in it, basically. And if you think about it, like Christianity hasn't got much to do with Jesus. <laughs> because it's a saying they killed the last Christian 2,000 years ago. I mean, he didn't write the Bible. And yeah. he's he's the guy that we know of his childhood. Then we don't know what happened until he's like 30. Yeah. Right. So some people say that he could be a Buddhist monk that, mm-hmm. he, you know, and there is a tomb of Jesus in Kashmir that, yeah, yeah with his uh, footprints, they believe that he died there. Wow. But the thing is, when you read about early Christian history, up to the point where Emperor Constantine of Rome supposedly became Catholic and merged church and state, Catholic church with the Roman Empire for extended power. Before that, there was a very different kind of a meaning of what this man has has taught. You know, again, was he real? Was he not? John Allegro believed that he was a mushroom. He was a psychedelic mushroom called uh, Jesus. It doesn't matter because what matters is the spirit of what he's teaching and how that has been interpreted in, you know, in such a weird and strange and twisted way that has led to Catholic priests being known as child molesters. It's, it's insanity. Right. Well, it's also <laughs> it's karma that, hey, don't mess with this thing, dude. Like he's actually talking about something really important to make this resurrection about physical death. And then you bringing back physically is just to have a middleman. So you can go and pray to that person. And for many, many, many centuries, it was only priests who could read the Latin text of Bible. So it goes back again to certainty (laughs) and the importance of information at the core of everything. But no, I don't think Jesus was talking about most of what the church is talking about whatsoever. That's why I'm kind of excited about this reemergence of a modern Christianity as a very viable alternative of creating a moral compass to create that sense of certainty that humanity seems to as a civilization totally needs it yeah you know uh, because if you don't have it you create your own (laughs) yeah yeah and that can be scary we've known a few people in history that have done that oh absolutely it's it's happening right now if you look at it so Mm -hmm. you know we're learning a lot exactly because of these hard times that we're going through And if you think about it that way, you're not actually going to suffer it as much because everything is a learning opportunity. And then you accept how things are and act accordingly instead of wishing them if they were somewhere, you know, some other way. Yeah, exactly, man. When you when you getting back to what we talked about, like, you know, you 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 said there is no such thing as good and bad. You don't get lost in the good and bad. It's just it's just learning. And that's yeah, how I see my context. Life. That's the thing. I think that's that's important to realize. You can create a context and then assess elements of that context and say good and bad, right and wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. But objectively speaking, if you say that a baby is born and is kept isolated from all cultures and religions and values and everything, when that kid, first of all, how are you going to communicate with that kid? Hmm to know what is the sense of self for a kid that hasn't been exposed to human constructs because that's what it is. But humans need it. And it's not that bad. It's just that you get hooked in it 
why people who also have no idea what's happening, they think that this is it. You know, you just grow up, we teach you values, and then you go to school, and then you get a job, get married, and then have grandchildren and die. Yeah. But probably you're going to have one hell of a time in that last breath that you're taking because you didn't realize what the life what life is all about. And at that moment, you will. And wow. you're exactly the equivalent of the person who has taken a little too much DMT <laughs> and is going through a rough patch. Eventually, it'll be fine. You, you'll yeah. find that peace. Everybody find that peace and the yeah. truth. It's just that some people will not get to that point until their very last breath. And there is no reason to go through all that suffering by not acknowledging the truth. Wow. That's awesome, man. That's so true. J. Cole, you know J. Cole, the rapper? Yeah. <laughs> he has his, one of his lyrics is, my only, uh, my only fear is a regret-filled coffin. And uh, that's pretty much sums up what you just said. Like there's some people who, there a lot of people who will have <laughs> coffins filled with regret. So do you think on your last breath, you like, you know, I know the story of like, you know, before you die, you, your body, your brain elicits a mass amounts of DMT. You think that actually is a thing? Supposedly, supposedly. And it's funny, um, the gentleman I was talking to about the simulations, he um, he was talking about how life is a video game. And when you're when you're about to leave it, you see all of your life, supposedly like a movie going in mm -hmm. front of your face because it's been stored somewhere in some database. It's really wow. funny if you think it within the context of simulation. It totally makes sense because Buddhists are actually talking about the same thing with respect to karma, that there is no soul. There is no you, you. There is just a bag of karma, which karma yeah. is just energy. Yeah, you know that is coming from you and energy cannot cease to exist whatever energy that is being produced will remain forever until mm -hmm. uh, until uh, until it run out of steam basically mm -hmm. so very consistent with um, certain aspect of buddhism and very consistent with certain way of looking at simulation theory mm. um but yeah leaving it to to the last breath to realizing it. But again, if you don't know the option exists, that's how you live your life. You're like, well, you mm. just have to suffer. Mm. You know, because that really what it goes back to that why do you have to suffer? You're suffering because you are aiming for something. Yeah. Suffering is the absence of success towards that path. If the path don't exist, you're not gonna suffer. That's the thing. Yeah. So it's not like this this is how it is it's that you've decided to it's like playing poker you know you have certain kind of cards you learn how to play them sometimes you win sometimes you lose the only way that you will never never lose is if you will never win mm. you can't just sit on the side and like hey man i'm having a great time watching these people playing poker <laughs> and i have 20 bucks maybe i play that sometime too but i'm fine with it if i win i find what if i lose because i'm not part of the game Mm. Just don't play the game. Don't get well, involved. Well, that's the thing. There is no instruction for people to get there because you, each of us having our own unique experience. So there are yeah. many different paths. They all lead to the same ocean. And an ocean mm. refuses no river. Yeah. But just because I'm going that way doesn't mean that you have to go that way with me. <laughs> mm. So yeah. the best anybody can do is just to listen, not listen, but hear 
everybody, but listen to very few people only if it resonates with you. But even then, don't take it as a rule or as some kind of um, uh, instruction. Yeah. See what you can learn from a bigger pattern that has given rise to that realization. You know, it goes back to the wave and the ocean. Yeah. So it's a wave, but the wave is an expression of an ocean, and the next time wave is going to be different. Yeah. Hmm. Wow, man. Just, just be, just go with the flow, just like a wave. Just be your own wave. Just be, man. <laughs> just, just be. Just go with the flow. That's a. That's what we all need to get to, man. It's uh. It's tough. I mean, do you envision a a, a world in the future where everybody has that mindset where we are all just because. I talked to somebody else before and I was, I was like, do you, I asked that question. He said, no, th this world wouldn't be the same if everybody was enlightened. Well, I don't know if you want to say enlightened or awakened or to that fact of, cause we need that, that contrast to know that we are an individual, like in this world, if everybody was, you know, if everybody at this point, like what if tomorrow was snap my fingers and everybody just let go and had that mindset would this world work like would it uh, yeah well that's see that's a very good question because most people talk about the revolution they're not talking about the day after the revolution <laughs> yeah the day after the revolution that's great that sounds like a book yeah like what, what's what's going to happen then the day after the revolution i think mm. everyone is born enlightened because what is the meaning of enlightenment to realize that you're the expression of a bigger thing expression of the divine yeah, that's that's summing it up. That's, that's it. That's it. That's good. But it's so simple that most people will will ignore it. Mm. And it's so simple that when you get it, you just laugh because I'm like, <laughs> what? Yep, the cosmic joke. So <laughs> a kid knows that, you know, yeah. the kid will play in a sandbox for hours without having any goal or without having any agenda. He just likes playing in the sandbox. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's the human construct that has been inevitably built and led to some really awesome stuff that you get stuck into it, mm. you know, and it's no one's fault. Some people kind of realize it because I disagree that you can run the machine if you understand how exactly it works. You, there is a... If you know how exactly it works, it's not interesting to you to want to operate it, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So the operator cannot be an enlightened being because you have an agenda and you better have an agenda because if you're having, if you're operating a plane, nobody cares how enlightened you are. They care about, you know, landing safely at their destination. Yes. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. You know, but it's also important to realize that that pilot can have a heart attack right there and then and you can die right now. Yeah. How does that sound? You know, are, are you OK with that? And, you know, Alan Watts talk about how a lot of um, Tibetan Buddhist monks, they have human skulls on their desk because that really is the most important projection you can have to realize. And it's a luxury that we have that, hey, one day. And that day can be right now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to die. Yeah. How am I feeling about that? You know, is there something I want to do before dying? 
And then you're like, yeah, this is what I want to do. But then the deeper way of looking at it is that why is what's the reason that I want to do that thing? Mm. <laughs> you know, so this why and why not and brutal honesty with self is the only way forward. However, you are going to get to a place that you want to get to that if there is a place you want to get to, you're probably not going to get to it. You know, because it's, you know, it's not solid, it's fluid yeah. and it's uncertain and it's ever evolving. Yep. Ever changing. Yeah. In permanence. That's a powerful image to have the skull on the desk. I might have to do that. <laughs> it's, it, that's so powerful to, because if you, when you, when I come, when you come to the truth of impermanence, it's, it's when you, when you fully fathom that, that, you know, this moment is precious and what everything that is in your life is is you know that happens in your life is precious it's just it's just the fleeting moment it's just a dream then you act accordingly when when most people it seems as though don't i mean everyone knows they're going to die but people don't like to th like to think about it and i don't like to think about it but it's good to it's good to have a barometer on and, and base your decisions in your life upon that in a way because it's 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 you know as much as you want to avoid dying even though i don't think it's a bad thing as much as you want to avoid it um it's a truth you know everything is impermanent and you can't hide from the truth but i think the entire world is so scared and hiding from the truth and if it's true what they say that you know we come from the the, the source uh that you know that kids kind of know about and when we die in the, in the dmp realm we and that's where we come from maybe that's where we're going back like why is it such a bad thing and like, and you said it's actually a good thing, right? It's it's like a uh, it's like a blessing in a way. Like our our own demise is like actually good. Like that none of this really kind of none of this really matters. And I believe that. Like, I believe impermanence is a blessing. It is grace, man. It is. I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> it, it <laughs> you is know? It's the truth. Yeah, if you take just... it as uh, good or bad, it is what it is. And you know, the hierarchy. I like to. Sometimes someone asks, oh, how do I make sense out of things that are happening? And it goes with everything. The hierarchy is that nature is at the core of it. And then there is technology and science. And then there is human intention and authority. So religion, for example, comes from human intention and authority. So nature will always trump human intention and authority. Nature doesn't give a damn yeah. what kind of a meaning you're looking for or whatever. But science and technology provide us with different tools to manipulate mm -hmm. the ways of nature. And that's the very definition of evolution, you know, survival of the fittest. Fittest is not the strongest, it's the most adaptable, it's the most flexible. Um, so it is what it is. And, uh, you know, it's not a very, I guess, kind way to go and tell someone who's suffering, you know, like, dude, it is what it is. You know, just <laughs> yeah. get over it. Yeah. But what else can you do other than providing further illusions for people who are suffering because of their illusions? What else can you do? What do you mean? So if, you're, no, if, what else can you do other than telling them straight up that, dude, it is what it is. Now, I'm not suggesting that doing that. But I'm saying people who are selling others illusions to rid them from their suffering that is caused by their own I, illusions. I see. They just want to make a profit out of it. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with that either. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah. it, it's not a solution. 
you're not going to be happier. You're not going to, you're just going to depend on five more things instead of like four. <laughs> yeah, that's so true, dude. How we, you know, it's just illusion after illusion after illusion. <laughs> Which is fine. Them. You know, we dream and we enjoy dreaming, yeah. right? Um, there's nothing wrong with that. That's the definition of an illusion. But it's that if you wake up and feel really depressed for the rest of the day because you want to be in the dream world, then you're very attached to it. And that is a problem. The problem is not with the illusion. The problem is with your sense of certainty and putting your trust in it because it, it is all about trust. You know, mm. hey, this is a process that we trust. This is the way that we trust. This is uh, I trust in this government and they will make everything okay. Well, maybe, maybe not, you know, no one knows. And there are people smarter than you who know that you don't know, but all you're looking for is trust. So that's what, that's what they're going to sell you. So yeah. that, that illusion is not even only an illusion. It's an illusion that is tailored for your need. And that describes the business model of social media platforms. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow, man. That's hundred percent. Whew. It just comes down to attachment. You know, attachment, any kind of attachment is going to lead you to suffering, man. Look, the way I look at life is that that consciousness and divine and God and whatever you want to call it, I see it as Internet and I see us as computers or devices. Mm -hmm. We each of these devices could be connected to the same kind of a network but have different experiences. You know, I have open up, me and you are both connected to internet, but I have different browsers open on my computer than you do. Yep. But after the computer is dead and gone and destroyed, internet hasn't gone anywhere. Yeah. You know, internet's still there for, until a, a next device get connected to it. <laughs> yeah, so the internet is consciousness? Is, it it is could be, could be. Yeah. You know, consciousness could be something like, uh, internet, uh, the mechanism of it could work like an internet, uh, definitely is decentralized. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I see that as well is that we are this, this, we are just this one band of consciousness experiencing itself in an in infinite amount of ways. And that's, that's, uh, and that's Brahman experiencing itself is Atman. And that's, we just, this, it's an infinite band of just, experience just consciousness itself into this little band of a human being into this expression of that creative divine energy and and because of that there's not really a concept of dying so much as the one that we like yeah my body's gonna die my consciousness will die but consciousness itself in the internet of the universe won't die i don't think <laughs> yeah I, I agree i agree with that and i think we are experiencing it because of our brain working like a computer it's like one yeah. of the devices mm -hmm. so well some people disagree with that some people think consciousness is the product of your brain processing yes yes i don't i i don't i disagree with that but again that doesn't matter because yeah you know, the only way to find out about that is when we'll be able to reverse engineer human brain, which is, I mean, who knows if we can do it because we are still talking about 
a binary state without even considering that, hey, the reality could be quantum, probably is quantum. Yeah, which that is it, like, it, aren't the rules of physics and quantum physics like just completely so alien to regular physics? Well, so binary, in the context of computation, binary is it's either one or zero. Yeah. In quantum computing is one, zero, or both of them at the same time. Oh, so the quantum yeah. states, I don't know if you're familiar with Schrodinger's cat, that you have this cat in a box with a bottle of poison and a hammer. Mm -hmm. And the box is closed. You can't see the cat. So the cat is alive and dead until you open the box, which is very consistent with quantum physics when they're talking about measurement problem, that electrons behave like um, like marbles when you're observing them, but when you're not looking at them or measuring them, they behave like waves, like they're, they're everywhere. But yeah. when measuring them, they're at this specific kind of spot. Yeah, so because the act of measuring actually changes the, the locality of it, the position the behavior. of it, the behavior of it. So yeah, that, that's like, is, is, is our brains just the act of measuring and just by simply experiencing whatever you know this this whatever's going on is that actually changing the fabric of our reality at a quantum level i think it's like a tuner you know guitar tuner well like a radio tuner oh like tuned to a certain frequency yeah yeah when you're when you're listening to or when you're watching like a tv channel it doesn't mean that the rest of tv channels don't exist it's just that yeah. you know you tune to a specific so it's the same thing with um like if we really want to be committed to the rules that energy cannot be destroyed, any amount of energy um, that will exist indefinitely and that everything is energy. Therefore, when you think about something, that thing is as real as the scenario that you're experiencing, but it could happen in another, in another dimension that is slightly different than our dimension. All of these are possibilities. You know, so to settle, this is actually another topic I've been talking about lately on um, podcast with a bunch of people, academics, that all of our institutions, again, if you can be corrupted, most likely you will be corrupted. The money that goes to research and, you know, epistemology to learn about knowledge, you know, to mm -hmm. gather knowledge. The money that is dedicated to that is all driven by self-interest and politics. For example, in physics, for decades, the only thing you could have get grants for and study with full funding and support was string theory. Yeah. So anything else that was um, introduced as an alter alternative to string theory, it was just tossed because it was institutional interest for string theory to be true. Wow. <laughs> you know, so that actually hits right at the spot of this illusion that yeah. you can be like, hey, how did the world begin? Big Bang. OK, what happened before Big Bang? I don't know. Well, then why not God, for example? Why not Christianity mm. if you don't know about that? Well, because this professor and that professor and that professor told me, but mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with the truth. Yeah, but those professors were essentially paid off by institutions they're part of the system a lot of them a lot of them yeah. are that's why people say science is just like another religion because there's it, other interests it certainly could be if it's corrupted and you know it, because science the beauty of it is that it is a system to flow through uncertainty and mm -hmm. it's never ending 
So, you know, we still call it theory of gravity, for example. We know it's not a theory. You can jump off the window and you will most definitely hit the ground. Yeah. But it's a theory because sometimes someone can come up with it and change it for whatever you know, reason. Our, our understanding of it could be changed. Mm-hmm. But the sense of certainty that is required to make profit out of these things is exactly what makes science into a religion that you yeah. can't even you can't even question it. And what's even crazier about it is that some of the supposed scientific evidence that then then is being used by politicians in order to raise your taxes. Oh, man. Yeah. You know, it's all an illusion. Yeah. But these people are losing control because of, yeah. um, you know, open discourse. Mm. You know, and this is a process that, because think about it, until maybe 150 years ago, a little maybe more than that, the only mode of communication for people was just, you know, face to face, mouth to mouth, you know, send someone a letter. But then newspapers came around and then radio channels and then TV. But even then, they were so limited that they could be manipulated by a bigger structure. So in, in the 90s, it didn't really matter what channel you watch or who won the election. You would have the experience in different kind of a way, but within the same kind of a construct that has been built for you by very a certain number of people who were, you know, whose interest was in that certainty, in that illusion. But Internet changed all of that. Like we're not going back. No, no way. The, the key is to keep a decentralized internet. Yeah, absolutely. Decentralization is the key. You know, whether it's going to be blockchain or it's going to be something else, it goes back to trust. You don't require to trust anybody, any centralized um, structure of authority. But then you realize when you go down that path, why not decentralizing governance altogether? Mm. And, you know, interesting times ahead, man, interesting times ahead, because all of this is not only philosophical anymore. You have a practical way of implementing alternative systems. Yeah. And say it's going to be blockchain. Could be. Could be. Yeah. Because we don't know how that's going to work when there is quantum computing, for example. Yeah. I I heard that quantum computing is not really going to it's going to like make it obsolete, like blockchain. Yeah. But there will be something else. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. because decentralization is not a technology, it's a philosophy that yeah. is being um, materialized through blockchain. Um, but it doesn't mean that that's the only protocol that decentralization will depend on. Yeah, that's true. I, th- I think we're, we are slowly, this is the beginning. I, I like to say that we're, we're, this is humanity's like puberty, like within yeah. the last few years. Like we're, this is the beginning of us coming into that that true being of who we should be like that you know just essentially decentralized and you know and going back to trust and like actually having trust in our systems and not having to worry about um the the folly of humans of their you know their own their own self-interests and building these systems around our technology that enable us to have a, a better world and it could be through blockchain and it could be through quantum computing. Who knows? Nobody really, nobody knows where no. we're going, man. It's, no. It's crazy. And I think the biggest mistake is try to make sense out of it. Exactly. And hold on yep. to it. You know, you can try to make sense out of it. Um, like, I can't tell you what's happening with respect to election and all that. I'm like, oh, it makes sense. But that can change tomorrow. Yeah. You know, and even then, if, even if it doesn't change in grand scheme of things, 
shit just happened, <laughs> yeah. you know, and mm-hmm. if you're ready, you, you go with it. If you're not ready, you're going to sink. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not about good and bad. It's about how the system works, you know, the evolution that has been going on since the very beginning of life. We have our own evolution that we are going through individually, but also in different kind of groups. You know, your family has a different kind of evolution than your society does. Your society that has a different kind of evolution than your continent does. Your continent has a different kind of evolution that global evolution has. Yeah. Right. So, again, the point of alignment, which I'm very convinced that if there is going to be a point of alignment, it's going to be an involuntary one. It's not that everybody have to opt into it. It's something that is beyond, again, human intention and authority. Uh, Kardashev scale, I don't know if you're familiar with that. <clears throat> no. So Kardashev scale is basically the scale for different types of civilization. And it's, it talks about that type one civilization is a planetary civilization that you have. Oh, yep, I know you're talking about. Yeah, access and control over all elements of your planet. And then the second one is galactic. Um, the third one. Anyways, the, the point is that a, le- a level by level, you take mm-hmm. control of your resources. We're not even type one. Yeah. Right? We're moving towards that, but a lot of the process is being corrupted by different humans, different politicians, different corporate people. And but again, that is part of humanity. You know, yeah. we can say it's bad and we should be doing that thing. But again, if you have the opportunity to be corrupted, most likely you will be corrupted. <laughs> exactly, man. It's unfortunate. It's the unfortunate truth of of humans because we are flawed beings. As yeah, much fallen as angels, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, as, as as much as we think we are these, uh, these these, I don't know these. We're just we're just apes that wear clothes at the end of the day, <laughs> and and just and just talk and use these these uh, obsolete. I mean, it's I, I guess it is. It's becoming obsolete way of, of of communicating through our you know mouth noises. But at the end of the day, like I said, we're just apes with guns. Like <laughs> getting back to it, we're just monkeys with guns, man. <laughs> And you can either you can either come to that fact and just go with the flow and just be a, you know, just be a ripple on the ocean and realize that you are a ripple in this entire ocean, or you can resist it and, you know, resist the tide and resist the waves. But it just starts with your mindset, and that's why I started this whole thing, man. It's just like I want to talk to certain people that have that mindset, and and explore what that is, and and you know, hopefully other people will, will vibe with it and. If they don't, they don't. That's fine. But it's 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 a fun experience, and it's cool to connect with people like you, man. That um, that kind of I don't know if you'll say know what's going on because, like we said, nobody knows what's going on. <laughs> but, you, but you have a just a certain viewpoint of life. That, like like I titled the podcast, like the conscious perspective of what's going on. You're you're aware that it's just like this is craziness, and. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we can wrap this thing up, man. I, I, we've, I feel like we could talk all day. <laughs> we, 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 we've covered so much. I don't even remember what we talked about, but I, uh, I thank you for coming on, Aga Bahari, and uh, this was an amazing conversation. I, I'm, I gotta really go to the bathroom, and I'm kind of tired, so, so that's, so that's why. Um, yeah, man, I enjoyed any, it. Thanks for having me. A, yeah, no problem. Do you have anything else that you want to say before we wrap it up? Just uh, want to ask. Stay healthy. <laughs> <laughs> Stay healthy. Do you and and go within. Shut your phone off and just go outside for a little bit. And uh, yeah, that's it, man. It's we're all gonna be okay.
It's all going to be cool. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> we'll be fine. Aga Bahari, the agologist, thank you for coming on. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.